So just one little caveat. I have been uh, with Southeastern Freight Lines. I used to be driver in the city, but I do weight and inspection over there. But I just recently, within the last few weeks, left my job at Southeastern Freight Lines and now work for Memorial Park Funeral Home. So hint, hint, if you need any pre-planning of your funeral, or if you are at need, get one of my Gideon cards and contact me. I just, little plug there if you don't mind. Uh, no, I do encourage you to uh, support this young lady and her zest for helping others. I mean, isn't that what we raise children to be about, to help others? Isn't that the second greatest commandment? So I think that's wonderful. You did a wonderful job up here, and I, I really appreciate it. So let's get behind her and uh, give some money to that uh, because, you know, that is what we should be about, helping others. Uh, or think about Dorcas, who went about doing good, right? So I want to thank uh, the Get Well Church and the Sunrise devotional team for allowing me to speak to you today. It's really a privilege and an honor for me to come to be with you. There is something that our Lord wants from all of us, from all of us who are called by His Spirit to new life in Jesus. And we are not complete and we are not at peace until we render this to Him in full submission. What I'm referring to today is a broken and contrite spirit before God. Now, for some of you, brokenness might have been resolved when you first gave your life to Jesus many, many years ago. But for me, it came much, much later. Scripture says in Isaiah 34, verse 18, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And David said in Psalm 51, verse 17, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. One of my favorite parables that I love so much of Jesus is the parable of the seed, the sower and the seed. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, it says here, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched, and it withered because it had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants, and still other seed fell on good ground, producing a crop a hundred or sixty or thirty times what was sown. Here Messiah mentions four types of soil. The hard path where seed could not penetrate and the birds would come along and they would eat from the path. The rocky soil where there was not enough dirt in which the word could mature and grow. The thorny ground that grew up with the, with the word and then choked out the word and the good soil that produced a crop. My life, where I fit into all this, is my life for over 48 years resembled the word that fell among the thorns. You see, I came to new birth in Jesus at the age of 14. And although I was saved... My actual Christian walk resembled the thorny ground because my love for things choked out of my life the necessary fruit 
that God had asked me to produce. And more importantly, my love for things prevented the brokenness and contrition which the Lord required of me and really requires of all of us. Isaiah 57 verse 15 proclaims, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. But listen, and also I dwell with him. I dwell with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So then we see that the scriptures teach that God dwells with those who are of a contrite spirit. Contriteness, I guess the best English word might to describe it would be brokenness. You see, before God's presence could have an influence and freely abide in our lives, and before a good crop of fruit can be produced in our life, we must become broken in our spirit. You remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, where he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. To become contrite or broken before God means that we recognize our own spiritual poverty before Him, our need for God. You see, really, we have nothing we can offer God except our obedience. The proper position that we should find ourselves before God is found in Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the, and the, uh, uh, the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. You remember the story, the religious Pharisee went on boasting about how he was not like other men. But what did the, the one who went home righteous do? He, he admitted to God, he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said it was that man that went home righteous and not the one who boasted about how spiritual he was. You know, my grandfather, who I never met, by the way, he died before I was born. I heard that he restored furniture. He did this for a living. He was a bivocational Lutheran minister up in Calumet, Michigan, way up at the very tip where all the Finnish folks live. My mom was Finnish. And he was a restorator of furniture. He restored furniture for a living. And when that is done, when you're about the business of restoring furniture, as you, many of you probably have, you know that much time is given stripping away the old varnish with strong chemicals. And also it reveals when you do that the scratches and gouges in the wood at that time. And then that refinisher will get his sandpaper out and he'll sand away the blemishes, smoothing out all the imperfections in the wood. And even, even though I had been a believer... Even though I had been a believer since 14, I still had major impurities in my life, just like that unfinished wood furniture. Impurities that needed to be removed from my life, and removing them, the Lord did. But I spent three years in depression in the process. Three years of fighting the accusations of the accuser. Three years of little sleep and three years of not wanting to live. But all the while, God was busy. He was busy. During that period, God was stripping away that old coat of varnish of seeking joy in things in my life. Sanding away at the foundation I was trying to make of material possessions. 
You know, see, God was eager to apply that new coat of stain to my life long ago, but I was unwilling. He recreated me to reflect his glory, but I had been all about myself. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 12. He said, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains an only seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves his life will lose it, while anyone who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. The truth is, God longs to heal us. He wishes to remake us into something much greater than we could ever be in our own strength. But we must, like that kernel of wheat, die so that he can make something of our lives. So that we can reflect his glory. You see, only when God is in the center of our life that, that all of your life will make sense. You know, the, the Apostle Paul long time ago in Galatians, proclaimed the words that we made into a song. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful, the words, but it's so true. But for some, and for me, we have the problem of Naaman. You remember Naaman, the military man, the commander of the Syrian army? You remember the story of this well-decorated military man who had leprosy? His Israelite servant girl told, told him that if he just go and seek out Elisha, he could be healed of his leprosy. And finally, after some time, Eli uh, Naaman did seek out Elisha. But when he did, Elisha, he didn't even go out to see Naaman. He didn't go out to see this decorated man and give him a handshake and welcome him or anything. He sent a servant out there. Elisha didn't go out to greet Naaman, but he told him to dip in the dirty water of the Jordan seven times and he would be healed. 2 Kings chapter 5 reveals to us the arrogance of Naaman. Listen to this. Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought the prophet would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over this place and cure me. Are not Abana and far, far the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in one of them and be clean? So he turned away in a rage. 2 Kings 5, 11 and 12. You see, Naaman's pride and stubbornness prevented him from the contrition God was seeking to accomplish in his life. Naaman wanted to do something great for God. He wanted to earn his healing. He wanted to make a big show of the event and have all the people gather around him and make a big to-do about it. Much like Naaman, I think that we seek to do something great for God, too. That brings recognition to us. When all the while, God is seeking from us submission 
and obedience to his will. What the scriptures called contriteness or contrition and a broken heart. For me, it took an extended period of time. I took the long way around. I wandered around in the wilderness longer than the Israelites, 48 years. And the most amazing thing, this is it. The most amazing thing about this is being a preacher, one who studied Greek and Hebrew and went to Harding Graduate School of Religion, didn't make a hill of beans a difference in my devotion to God. You see, it matters not how much knowledge you have about God in your head. It matters how much is in your heart. The beautiful thing, though, is that God can restore the years the locusts have eaten. I love this passage from Psalm 61. It says that my God is one who, quote, comforts all who mourns, consoles those who mourn in Zion, gives them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. God longs to heal us, to restore us. He is willing to remake us like that refurbished furniture where we can reflect His glory and His likeness. But now, today, presently, my life has changed. Now in the present, I live. I don't live in the future. I don't worry about the past. I live in the present. Every day is an opportunity to me. I live with joy and peace in my life. Because I have the presence of God by my side, and I know it. And I'm not going to adopt any lies of the accuser anymore. I believe in the promises of God now. Now, please don't misunderstand me. We never arrive. We never seek, uh, stop seeking to walk out our faith. Sanctification is a lifelong process. And sin and Satan must be handled on a daily basis, sometimes an hourly basis. But now I have his abiding presence. And today I want to tell you about an opportunity that I have. An opportunity to serve along with Gideon's International. An organization of business and professional men along with their wives who distribute the holy word of God to every nation under heaven. We as Gideons are always seeking out men. Some of you in this room perhaps who are interested in sharing about the Lord and giving testimonies about what God has done in your life. One testimony at a time. You know, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it reminds us that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And that's how we win people to the Lord too, our testimony. Because who can deny somebody's testimony? All they can say is walk away, well... Gosh, I'm glad it worked for you, or wow, tell me more. But it's your testimony. Nobody can refute your testimony. We as Gideons do far more than what we're known for to place Bibles in hotel rooms. Yes, we do that, and that's a very integral part of our, what we do, but we do far more than just put Bibles in hotel rooms. We have placed into the hand of over two billion a Bible, most of the time by sharing a brief testimony of how Jesus has made a difference in our life. Think about it. Two billion Bibles in over 195 countries over 120 years of our existence. That's no little accomplishment. 
As Gideons, we follow the example of the biblical Gideon who, with only 300 men, defeated the Midianites. Much like the Marines, we are looking for a few good men to stem the tide against the immoral society in which we live. We as present-day Gideons want to promote the Judeo-Christian worldview and culture founded in Jesus, much like the biblical Gideon stood up for the God of Israel. And in addition to Bible distributions personally, we provide Bibles to graduates of high school and college and to those deployed into the military. We provide Bibles in prisons and in hospitals. And we share Bible with, uh, Bibles with school-age children in multiple countries all over the world. You know, it's really neat. I went to the Grapevine International Convention, and they had pictures of these kids from these third-world countries standing in line for hours just to get their own Gideon Bible. They'd stand in line to have a Bible they could call their own. We also place Gideon card displays in churches which hold memorial sympathy and thank you cards that you could send out to your, your friends and your family that have gone through a loss or say a thank you to them or whatever. And then in there, there's an envelope in which you put some money for the Gideons and that money goes to buy Bibles and pays for the distribution of Bibles. And all funds that we collect as Gideons goes None of it goes to administrative costs. The people in Nashville that are, that are 40% uh, or that are, that are full-time people get their uh, Bibles there. The need for Bibles in foreign nations, you see, is very great. Ethiopia requests 500,000, Finland 300, and Korea over a million. Some of the most amazing testimonies of how individuals came to saving faith in Jesus are from reading a Gideon Bible at just the right time in their life, sometimes when they're at the end of their life or the end of their marriage. There have been times when serious harm to others has been thwarted by the finding of a Gideon Bible at just the right time. One such account is one of a lady named Mary of Greenville, Texas. You see, she had an abusive father, and she had uh, bad boyfriends. And Mary was hooked on crack and was gauged in prostitution, and she finally had enough one night when she gave up on her job uh, and, and was a stripper in a nightclub in Dallas, and she had tucked away in the seat cushion of a, a borrowed car she was in a, a gun. But when she reached around to grab the gun to kill herself, instead she pulled out a Gideon Bible. And she went to the plan of salvation, and she became a believer in Jesus. And now her and her husband of 15 years preach at a very large church in the Dallas area. The Gideon uh, presentation closest to my heart, though, occurred just two weeks after I became a, a Gideon last April. I shared some of the testaments with uh, people at work. And one of them was a real dear friend of mine, Rick Markley who was a city driver along with me, who was about to move to Cincinnati where we had bought a, a Cincinnati service center and he was originally from Cleveland, I'm a, from Detroit, so he was my Yankee brother. But right after he moved out of his apartment, he fell on, slipped on some ice and he messed up his left shoulder, his rotator cuff. So he needed surgery, he needed time to recover and so he lived with Marion and I for five months and even became closer friends. Well, that morning, the last time I saw Rick, was when he came to the when when he was about to come to the service center when he came at four o'clock a.m. 
And I shared a brief testimony with Rick then, and I, I handed him a Gideon Bible, and it resonated with his heart because he said, yeah, Gary, I need to get closer to the Lord. The next morning, I arrived to work at 1 a.m., and the dispatcher informed me that Rick was dead. You see, he was hooking up his set of trailers, but he didn't set his parking brake. And when he turned the valve that allows the air to flow from your first to your rear trailer, it, it became alive, and he was hooking up his set in the middle, and that, that back trailer ran him over, and he died. His death occurred 40 hours after I gave a Gideon Bible to Rick. You see, we simply don't know the length of our days. Even as James said long ago, our life is like a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. I was, of course, devastated. And I, I typed a quick email to the service center manager and explained to him our close friendship. And I volunteered to go to his memorial service and even give, his message, give the message of his service. And that Friday, his sister called me and my wife and I flew to Cleveland, Ohio to perform his funeral service. Forty hours before he died, I gave Rick a Bible. You see, because we believe in the brevity of life, Gideon sensed the urgency of sharing our testimony of God's Word to those we come in contact with. There's countless stories, but let me tell you this one more real quick. Eddie Cole was a man that I met at Bellevue the other night. David Sitton introduced me to him. He played for the Detroit Lions, but he was originally from Clarksdale. And he was a hero in football there. He was a hero in football in Ole Miss. And then he went to the Detroit Lions. And the other day I had the opportunity to take him to a, the Auburn game with Ole Miss. And he was saying that when he was in third grade, he was standing in this long line with these other nine-year-old people. And he was about to get a Bible. And he was watching the man that was passing out the Bibles. And he says, man, I don't know if I'm going to get a Bible. This guy's running out of Bibles. And he got up to the front of the line and, and he was out. But the man reached into the, to the pocket and took out his own personal testament. And he said, son, I'm going to give you this Bible if you promise to read it. And Eddie prayed a quick prayer. And he said, oh, God, if you, if you teach me how to read, I'm going to read that book and tell everybody about what's in it. And Eddie's done it to this day. It's an amazing story. And I had the opportunity to take Eddie to a game the other day. Finally, let me just say that our world is a very broken place. And our world doesn't value broken things, but God does. Isn't that something? That's something, isn't it? God values broken things and broken, wasted lives. Because brokenness is what God treasures the most. What He's seeking of all of us. No person is beyond the love of God. God has made a difference in my life. He can or has brought new life to yours as well. He can restore hope to your life and already, even if it's already in the 10th or 11th hour of your life, a broken and contrite heart in which to work. If you are a business or professional man, God has a place for you in Gideon's International. See me or Roy or one of the other Gideons here or take some literature from your table and ask more questions if you're interested. You see, we as Gideons are not special. We're just ordinary men, just ordinary men interested in letting the lost know about what Jesus has done in our life. Thank you very much.